So there's like this commercial for like a irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease. And it essentially has these two women that have a podcast in their garage. And, <laughs> and, and I can't stop thinking about it because I'm like, the commercial is so weird because it's like, you can't tell if maybe they're a lesbian couple or like what's going on with them. Like what, what is the real story? Like at one point they're like together in the living room and they have this podcast together in the garage, but in the living room, like they're, they're eating takeout food. And the one that has like Crohn's disease is like staring at these like onion rings and then the other one that doesn't have the disease is like constantly annoyed with her because she's always going to the bathroom. And then like she takes the medication and she's all fine again. And then it's like they're happy, but they're still like there's like this underlining tension between them. I don't know. It's something I've been obsessing about. I can't stop thinking about it, especially since I've been working on this old chestnut again. And that's been fun. So you may notice I'm talking very quietly right now. Um, and no, that's not because I'm trying to make an ASMR video. Although I'm obsessed with those on YouTube. I think that's really the only way I've been able to get through this stupid fucking pandemic. Me whispering is also the reason why I haven't even done a podcast in forever. Um, because I've always worked from home, <laughs> but since COVID, um, so has my boyfriend and I'm incredibly self-conscious when I make these things and our walls are paper thin. So he can hear everything I'm doing and saying it's embarrassing. I shouldn't be embarrassed. It's something I work on in therapy, but I still am. So I just haven't gotten around to a podcast, which is an irony because you would assume that there would be this <clears throat> just like outpour of like podcasting and live streams and all of this stuff for me. Um, no, <laughs> I've done stuff. I've done a lot of stuff, but that. Yeah, so the, the, my COVID experience has been one of insulation. I think I've actually kind of enjoyed it, not going to lie. It's been kind of nice not having to socialize and having to constantly go out and do stuff. To, to have a reason to stay inside has been kind of nice, although I think the... Obviously, people dying, that's horrible, right? People getting sick, that's horrible. Um, I'm vaccinated now, so yay for me. But the, the biggest downside is I forgot how much I love my alone time during the day to kind of work on whatever I want to work on, especially because um, you might have guessed that typically I'm a very loud and obnoxious person and I require a lot of like moving around. I have a lot of nervous energy. So having to like cohabitate during my days has been um, interesting. Um, I'm also working on myself. So I've, I've learned a little bit more about self-care through therapy. Um, 
I'm trying to not use the word like as much. <laughs> it's a work in progress of at one point I kind of had like a pseudo band called death of the general, um, with a singer and a mixer, um, that kind of got folded, not really anyone's fault, but I think that's why I'm actually here talking. Typically when I do these podcast episodes, it's really just because like I've got, I wouldn't call it writer's block, but I'm usually like at a point on a project where it's like I'm at the precipice or I'm at some point where it's like I'm ready to push forward, but I just, I wouldn't call it laziness, more just you kind of hit this point where like you want to take a little bit of a breather because you know you're going to dive in and it's going to be this kind of all-consuming event which is funny because this new project that I'm going to talk about eventually is already two episodes in and I'm saying episodes and you're like what uh yeah so there's that I was looking back on the other podcast episodes and it was kind of fascinating that the most listened to episode was called Pickle Rick, which was the most rambly, just all over the map. And I really think the only reason people were listening to it was because they thought it was about Rick and Morty, which fuck it. I don't care. I'll take it or whatever. Um, if you're new to this podcast, you'll realize it is just a bunch of rambling. Um, I take lots of breaks, so I try to put in some interstitials. I think this one's going to be a little bit more talky. Um, just trying to kind of feel myself a little bit. Um, yeah. Obviously, I'm not as like continuously talking, and there's lots of pauses. I'm a little rusty on this. I don't really know if I'm going to keep doing this. I say that every fucking time and then like two years will go by and then I like do another episode. So I don't know. You'll listen to this and then we'll talk again in two years. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, that's right. So I've put out, I think since this last, the last episode, I've put out like two full instrumental albums and another EP. I mean, I've been pretty prolific. Um, I've put out a lot of instrumental music. And then, like I said, I was kind of working on this band project uh, with this singer that I just, I think to no fault of anyone, it was just, I wasn't feeling it. I think I was just, I was getting too frustrated with myself. I think and this actually kind of bleeds into this new project, but I'm going to kind of vent about musicians a little bit. Because, <laughs> you know, I can't stray too far away from controversy or saying something that's going to get me in trouble. But I was really surprised at how, I don't want to say lazy, but just how, like, lost musicians have been during covid like take for instance um i wanted to get 
an instrumental EP out and the instrumental EP was actually going to be for the band with the singer, but I, I figured I'd do the instrumentals first. And so it's like trying to find a string quartet that would remotely record. And so I talked to this violinist who will remain anonymous and they didn't have any equipment. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. Well, what if I just buy you equipment, right? It's not that expensive. So, so I just got her all of the equipment she needs and kind of explained. And I even like, because my day job, I work in tech support. So I like to think I'm pretty good at like explaining with like infographics. And even like the audio interface was a very simple like four in four out audio interface and I taped it up and showed little markers of how levels are supposed to be and like what you're supposed to do um and I gave her two different mics to use one was an up close just an sm58 same mic I'm talking to you on and then another one was like kind of a cheapo version of the audio technica 1080 the omnidirectional mic um it's the one that's a little annoying because you could use phantom power but also has a battery on it and the battery ended up i thought would be better just because i was like well it'll be an issue because she won't know how to do the phantom power thing so i even gave her spare batteries for it and then i and then like i ended up paying for her to have dropbox to communicate with me because she couldn't figure that part out it was like a whole fucking thing and then like I had to get her like to use logic and that was another thing. And I was just kind of like going, why am I doing all this work? Like you're supposed to be a session player for a living. Like why wouldn't you already have this set up? Especially since this wasn't like early COVID. This was more like middle COVID. Anyway, yada, yada, yada. So I got her set up and then I, she hired a bunch of other people you know, cause it's string quartet. And then they, they in turn also like had their own setups. Right. And so we we're trying to figure this all out. And for some reason, like the omnidirectional mic that I was excited about, cause I really liked this mic. Um, I told her, Hey, if it doesn't feel like there's sound coming out of it, just put in the new battery. I don't know if that battery's old or not. And she's like, okay, okay. So after like a week, I get all the recordings back and there's no audio coming through on the Audio Technica track on anything. But she'd already done everything and I already paid her. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, I told you if there's no audio coming through, replace the battery. Oh, I forgot. And I was like, fucking kidding me? <laughs> I think that's what it is. It's like the attention to detail. Like you're being like if someone pays me to do something right there's a certain level of prep work i'm always gonna do right i want to make sure that i exceed expectations and it was kind of the same case with the um one the cellist that we were using i ran into the same problem where they were just like they couldn't figure out how to use logic and then they couldn't get the mics to work and then they couldn't figure out how to perform the music. It was like a whole fucking thing. And I was just, sorry, I'm clinking because I'm drinking iced coffee. <laughs> I was just like super stressed. The one saving grace was the violist. The violist is this Grammy award winning, like literally a Grammy award winning like composer violist. And so, so that experience worked out really well. And he was just the fucking bomb. Like he just 
Nail did exactly. And I was like, okay, you know what's up. Like you, you bring home the bacon, you get it. So it was a little like, I was just a little turned off by it, but I was like, well, maybe it's an isolated thing, right? I think maybe these musicians have just gotten used to certain thing. I mean, and also realize these are full-time musicians. Like they've been on tour with like famous artists, which I'm not going to say out loud because it'll give away who these session players are <laughs> for anyone that's listening. But after that experience, I got really turned off. I was going through the recordings and I always go through this phase of being super excited when I'm first recording session players and then the daunting task of going through and editing all of the takes and trying to splice it together, which can turn anyone's hair gray because it's very stressful and it's difficult to remain objective and not be pissed because you start hearing stuff in there where you're like, how did you not realize, you know, and then I get pissed at myself. I think it also teaches me to be more firm and it gives me a clear understanding of why other producers and co-composers are so kind of like dot, dot, dot. Um, like the one thing you're always going to run into is session players hate recording to click and so they'll always fight you on it and they'll tell you oh it's a more freeing experience for us but at the end of the day in my experience after doing like three full-length albums and like seven different eps with session players um they always need a click don't don't fall for it i i know in other episodes i've like told you how freeing it is to not do click that's bullshit they should always be on a click because trying to edit multiple takes and trying to do anything in post is almost impossible because they never play it with the same type of tempo. And then on top of that, they're constantly making like little micro mistakes that you don't really realize until you're in the weeds of it. Um, I originally thought of experimenting with different methods of recording, but all of them would end up meaning I would have to pay like double what I'm already paying in quadruple just for like multiple sessions, right? Like the first idea was, oh, I'll do a session. Then I'll just like spend a week mixing it down and then I'll do it again. And then I started pulling together again because I'm a techie and I was like pulling together the budget for that and it was like astronomical. And I was like, well, that's fucking Looney Tunes. So that was the first, right? So you're going to hear a lot of so's, just warning you. And you probably are going to hear the train in the background. Um, I'm using Pro Tools to do this podcast, which is the first. Um, I, I use Pro Tools professionally, um, but I've always used Logic for composing and Logic for the little podcast episodes just because it's an easier interface. But I find that Pro Tools sounds better. It's got kind of a better core audio mix to it. Um, and because I'm speaking lower and I'm also pumping this through a Rupert Neve 500 series lunchbox and a custom built Cappy preamp. So I'm really curious how this is all going to sound because this is as like pro as it gets. <laughs> I was listening to some of the audio back though and I was like, oof, I might have to do a little EQ adjustment and stuff, but that's all good. You know, maybe a little, maybe you'll end up hearing a little parallel compression, right? Oof, so pretty. Um, the main takeaway 
before I kind of like went back and forth is that, so I did this band and the original idea of the band was that I would pay everyone, but I wanted to bring in my mixer and I wanted to bring in this singer. And originally I was like, I will write everything. I will pay for everything. I just need you guys to do what you do best. Um, and then COVID hit and COVID hit and it was like, oh, well, we'll take this as an opportunity. So I bought a ton of equipment for the singer, got it to them. And it was just like one technical foible after another. And I just found myself getting more and more frustrated because I would finally get audio files, but like it would be like two months. I get two months with nothing. And then finally I get audio back and all the audio is just garbled. It was crap. It was just like... There was something wrong with his audio setup, but he just refused to troubleshoot it. And he would get very belligerent with me and be like, I don't understand. It's fine. And I'm like, I can't use this, though. Like, I'm paying you. Like, what? And then at one point, like, he attacked me on, like, the songs. And he was like, I just don't get the songs. I don't like the songs. And, and so then I was like, well, fine. Then you do what you want on the song and we can work through it which just really kind of got nowhere and was incredibly frustrating. Um, and I was explaining this in a therapy session. And my therapist is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, hold up. You're paying these people and they're not doing the job. And I was like, well, I mean, but you know, and he's like, no, like they have a job to do. Why are you having to spend all this extra money and time with them when they can just watch a YouTube video to figure it out? And I was like, yes, this is very true. And I've been hoping that, and I've been showing them or him YouTube videos, but I don't think he's watching them. And I think it's one of those things where he's not doing any work. And then at the last minute, he knows I'm about to fire him. So then he like pumps all this stuff out. But because he did it so hurriedly, he doesn't actually listen to it to realize, oh, these audio files are kind of garbage. Plus there was something going on. Like I was getting all this like feedback in his audio, which is weird because I gave him an identical audio interface setup to what I use for remote sessions. I've never had that issue before. And, and, and like there was this whole thing where it was like, he was cranking up the volume on his headphones and it was bleeding through, but he was recording on an SM57, which it's sensitive, but it's not that sensitive. So finally, through the miracle of therapy, like my therapist, Muhammad Garland at New York City Affirmative Psychotherapy Care, um, was like, no, 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 no. Like, this isn't cool. Like, you're getting taken advantage of. You got to figure something out. And overall, I was just getting incredibly stressed out. I was just, I was like, what am I doing? I have these people. And then I had this whole issue with the mixer um, who, you know, I pay her monthly to ensure, yeah, you're going to hear work emails. I don't give a fuck. Um, you know, I pay her as well to mix all this stuff. And like, I think like two or three months went by and she didn't even mix the stuff that I'd like sent her. Um, just because she moved to LA and she had this other stuff going on. And I had never heard from her. And I was just so stressed. I just stopped paying her. And I'm not shitting you. I have not talked to her since I stopped paying her. Like she never like emailed or messaged me or just checked in. It was just kind of like, oh, 
okay, so that's done. Um, and then with the singer, I finally just fessed up and I was like, dude, I'm burnt out. I can't keep doing this. I'm exhausted. COVID has, you know, like, it's just, I don't have any alone time anymore. Like, I can't do this. I need a break. And enter this new project I started working on, which is where I think the real point of this episode goes, but meandering and who cares? Because who's fucking listening to this anyway? (laughs) So I went in thinking about all of the things that were really annoying me, right? I was getting incredibly stressed out having to deal with session players, especially in a COVID environment where I just couldn't figure out what the hell they were doing. Um, I was getting stressed out working with a singer because it was like I was relying too much on them and they weren't delivering what I needed. On top of that, I was also getting stressed out with the fact that the minute I involve other people on a project, it's no longer my project, right? It becomes about personality and all these different things. So I started with just like working on a song purely in the box. Well, not in the box, but purely on my own. So I kind of started working on this song that was a little bit more electro distorted. Um, Here, I will play a little bit of it here. Thank you. 
Wasn't that great? <laughs> so I started working on the song and I started thinking about like kind of a narrative. And I had been writing like years ago, like 10, 12 years ago, I'd worked on this pilot script that was originally supposed to be like this kind of animated, trippy sci fi pilot called, it was originally called Charlie and the Infinite. And, and the whole point of it was that, you know, it was this kind of person, it was basically me. It was me in my 20s, crazy, drunk, working a graveyard shift at a sleazy hotel, like, just complete, ma- it, it really is a reflection of the time. And, but he is thrust into this world where there's like infinite universes and that these this group of people, these two groups of people have figured out how to manipulate the fabric of the universe so that they can go in and out between universes. Um, and, and there's this kind of war for supremacy over like all of space time. Very, very kind of like high level. Like it's kind of like you mix travelers in with fringe and you mix that in with like, kind of my sense of humor and kind of my like slacker kind of like writing style. I think I used like too many times in that statement. Um, But I started with the pilot script and I kind of cleaned it up because I was just like, you know, this is something I've always like wanted to work on and I just never really did anything with it. And I'm kind of curious where it's going to go. So I really like scrubbed through the pilot and then I threw it on the blacklist. Um, And the blacklist is for screenwriters where you get kind of peer reviewed and rated on your script. And I kind of went into it just going, I just need some honest feedback. So I'm willing to pay for it. Right. So I paid like 50 bucks, threw it up and I got like, I mean, (laughs) I I got kind of ridiculed. It was, it was a little rough. Um, It was not a well-reviewed script, but they did like it to a certain extent. And then the, the, their whole thing was, it's like Travelers meets Barry, which Barry, the HBO series about the assassin. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll take the compliment on that, right? Um, some of the feedback was a little not so, like they clearly were obsessing about things that I didn't even think about. But I just took it and I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I had this thing, but I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And it wasn't like it was going to turn into a TV pilot. It was not well-reviewed. 
Um, and then I was talking to the boyfriend. And the boyfriend wanted to work on something like outside of work. And so I kind of gave him this project. I was like, well, I've got this script and I really am enjoying writing this music. And I'm really enjoying not having to work for anyone or work with anyone. How do we make these fit? And so we started brainstorming and we started kind of experimenting with this idea where, so there's this light novel series in Japan called ReZero. And now it's an anime. It's like a very wildly popular anime. Um, and the whole premise of the anime is that, you know, the story's not really that important. Because <laughs> it's like, it, it's called Isekai. And it's basically about like, a boy goes to a different world and then blah, 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 blah. But it's just, it's more the fact that it starts, it's this like light novel series. It's very popular type of, writing form in Japan where it's episodic so like every month or every week there's like a new just light novel episode that they put on a website for free and then people read it and then from that right it got developed into a manga and then from the manga it got developed into an anime series and I first found out about it through the anime series because I'm a huge weeb um, like I have like 15 different Darling in the Franks hoodies and t-shirts. It, it's a little pitiful. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of took that and I was like, you know, I love writing. And I love music. I'm not visual, right? We, we've all learned that lesson. And I'm really sick of fucking working for people and working with people. So, so Aaron kind of helped me devise this way where as you scroll through and you're reading my episode, the music will transition with different cues based on where you're at. So like if you're reading section one and that you have like a section one music that plays and then depending on where section one music is looping and playing, there will be a transition to go to section two when you scroll to section two. So basically, I would take all of these building blocks of main sections of music to build the original song, but then I would build out and write all of the different transitions based on where you would be. Um, just to demystify it, basically each section is usually about eight measures, and then each measure has a different transition to get to the next section. So really you have like seven transitions per section. And then there's like usually typical episodes have been 10 sections. So so basically you have 10 sections of music that are like eight, eight measures of pop that are on a loop. And then within that you have a total of 70 different one measure transition points. That's at least how we did it for episode one and two. So episode one was purely the pilot, you heard the song, right? And then episode two um, took way, way longer than I thought it would. So so I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so episode one comes out, um, no one <laughs> goes to it. A couple of friends saw it and they liked it, but you know, it's one of those things, a tree falls in the forest. Um, but oddly enough, I didn't get demoralized by it. Like, I didn't care. I just really loved doing this. And this project was really fun. Problem was when we built the prototype for episode one, 
we never developed it for multiple episodes. I think partly because my boyfriend knows I have a nasty habit of starting a lot of stuff but never finishing it. And I think there was skepticism over whether or not I would actually keep going with it. Um, but he quickly found out because I kept fucking annoying him because I was like, no, 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 this, this is something for me. So, but he's burnt out because COVID and he himself also has all this shit he's working on, which I'm not going to fault him, right? Like, that's totally understandable. So I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? So I just started working on episode two. But I took everything I learned from episode one, right? Because it, it's a bit of a rough pilot. Like, I think the story is there, right? The the narrative element was really fun because it, uh, through a lot of, like, dialogue, because, like, friends were kind of helping me as far as just giving me pure feedback, you know, I really kind of developed this cool thing where it's like I had this pilot script, that was, you know, over the course of like a couple, like the, the course of the, the pilot script is like basically two days, two or three days. And then so each episode is actually just one scene from the pilot in chronological order because I completely blew open each scene to be more, because it's a novel. So I'm literally doing it through each character so each character has their own kind of like story which makes it way way more epic so there isn't like a central character person there is there's charlie who's me but at the end of the day it's really like 10 or 11 different main characters that i kind of like focus on and kind of flip in and out because again i don't give a fuck so i'm just writing because i want to write um the music side, sorry, work. Um, the music side's a little different, right? Because I'm learning. Episode one was a prototype. I'm proud of it. But like if you go to charlieinfinite.com, right? And you listen through the first episode, it's cool. It's definitely out there. But the music doesn't transition as seamlessly as I kind of hoped. And it was because I was still figuring stuff out. Namely, I created the transitions long after I'd already created the main sections. And because of that, the audio levels aren't perfect, um, which is something I learned for episode two, where I was like, oh, I need to do it all at once. So again, because of all my big boy toys, like my lunchbox for my preamp, my pedals, like all my effects and stuff, it's very difficult with analog gear to go back and match the signal after like weeks or months go by. So <laughs> I learned in episode two, prototype, build everything in logic first and then set it up. And then because I don't have to work with live musicians, it's all in MIDI using um, Spitfire audio. I'm using their um, Sacconi string quartet and then I'm also mixing it in with um, their alternative strings quartet setup. So I kind of got two different um, VST packages using contact from Spitfire that I, I just I absolutely love. They're kind of my go-to kind of toolbox of stuff. But because I'm so heavily going through my pedals and effects, they actually end up sounding surprisingly realistic. Um, 
which also further <laughs> fueled me to keep doing this and not caring about, I must have a live stream quartet for this or anything like that. So episode two, finally, I get everything ready to go. I have it like, and I think what was cool about it was because it was taking a while to turn to pro, to turn the prototype on the coding side so I could have multiple episodes, it really forced me to get my shit together and to really figure out like what I was trying to say. Like what, like I had this moment where like I often do where I feel like, oh, I'm waiting on other people. I'm so stressed out. And in turn, what kind of happened instead was I focused it more on, well, is it perfect on my side? Is there anything I can do to fix this? And there totally was. So really by the time we were ready for episode two, I had that thing fucking polished so that when I loaded it into the system with minor tweaks because I'm HTML div codes is a whole fucking other thing. But anyway, like once I loaded the music in, it was flawless. Like I didn't have to change anything. It was just like, boom, it was in, it was perfect. And I think it was that point when I realized this is what I want to focus on. There may be other projects that come along the way or maybe someone gets inspired by what I'm doing or anything like that. But this is kind of my study, Eddie. This is the thing that I want to kind of like keep doing. I kind of realize like I'm always going to be in tech support to pay the rent just because economy, right? And trying to figure this shit out is just a nightmare. But then it was also like, see, I said like, ah, oh, motherfucker. Then it was also just... I need something that I can do on my own that I can just constantly create and turn out. So so the fact that there's a narrative element to it and there's no necessary endpoint, right? So, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here is the music for episode two.
wasn't that fun. <laughs> I, I took a break and I was like, oh, I'm going to end up going down a rabbit hole. I'm going to be editing and putting this through all kinds of stuff. I should have probably muted like work email and things. And I know that you can hear like a siren in the background, but welcome to the city, my friends. This is how it is. So tonally, obviously the first song based compared to the second episode song, very tonally different. And I think it's because you're, I'm feeling myself a little bit. I'm realizing that in this new format, I can do whatever I want. And it's very liberating. And it's very exciting. Episode one is more action-packed. It's more about laying the foundation of all these characters. Um, not really explaining too much, but leaving enough so that I can kind of build on these experiences. Um, first episode also, as I was laying it out, I realized it, it, it's much more of an emotional journey and it's much more about my own views. It wasn't the original intention when I first started writing out the first episode in a novel format. It just kind of organically grew that way, which to me was really exciting. I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting there. Making sense of it. And then the second episode, I leaned a little bit more heavily on kind of more autobiographical experiences, pulling from things and memories. Um, the second episode, so the first episode kind of takes place in this courtyard and there's this action sequence and you find these two warring factions and they're able to kind of, when they go to this universe, this reality, they actually find their doppelganger and they inhabit their doppelganger and basically they switch, right? So the doppelganger goes back to where they're from and then they go to this present kind of reality where the story takes place. And with that, of course, there's a lot of humor because <laughs> it's me. So I kind of treat the main characters that are in this, these two warring factions, more like they're employees of a larger corporation that are doing these things, um, which to me was exciting. Anyway, so that was kind of the first episode. And then the second episode almost entirely takes place in a dive bar and is based on a dive bar that I used to drink myself silly at called Scolari's Office in San Diego. And it really focuses on my mental state and where I was at um, working graveyard shifts. Because working graveyard shifts is brutal. There's just no way around it. Um, but it definitely adds a lot of fodder because there's a lot of stories. I mean, there's a story in the second episode where Charlie, the main character, talks about how um, to try to make money on the side, a bunch of frat bros show up to the hotel and they want to rent a hooker. And so I, I'll just tell the story because this is a real story. So I was working at a Marriott in San Diego in the Gaslamp District. And it was actually a very nice hotel, but for the sake of the story, I made it a rundown hotel. But because it's kind of it's a mix. I worked in many hotels throughout my 20s, but 
I was at working at this Marriott. I was working as a night auditor, which is like an 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. shift. Um, and usually you always have a second person with you, but, and his name actually was Campbell. And it was this very overweight kind of, <laughs> just he, his voice had a squeak to it. He sounded like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. And he was a sweetheart. He was just an absolute gem of a human being. But he was, you know, it's kind of like, this is it for him. This is what he did. Like, he worked this job just so he could kind of, like, spend his days doing whatever he wanted. And, you know, we were both dirt poor. Anyway, he called in sick. And these frat bros want a hooker. So I literally, like, basically had them pay for, like, a half-rate room. And then I called a hooker. I literally went through the yellow pages and found an escort. And so I just called the hooker and I was like, hey, these guys want a hooker. Can you come here and go up and figure it out? And so she shows up and she gives me like, they gave me like 50 bucks just on under the table to do all this. And then she gave me like 20 bucks because I called her. She goes up to the room and then like maybe like half an hour later, um, there's this huge ruckus. I'm getting all these noise complaints from the other guests. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I had the security card go up. And about 15 minutes later, the hooker comes running out of the elevator, just flipping out. And she's like, they were ordered way off the fucking menu. They wanted butt stuff, and blah, 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 blah. Right? And I was like, what? Um, and so she runs out and her car was just parked right out front of the hotel. So she, right after she gets out, these frat bros come busting out, freaking the fuck out. They want their money back. They're pissed. They're screaming. The security guard is like, what the fuck did you do? Like, what the hell is going on? And I'm just trying to play it cool. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. That beats me. Not my problem. Um, so the frat bros try to chase her down and she's in her car and she literally slams on. So one of the frat bros slams their hands on the hood of her car, demanding she stops. And she just cranked on the gas and she ran over the guy. The guy like topples over the car onto the ground, clearly broke bones. Something happened. I'm, I'm not, I, I obviously was in the hotel. So I was watching through the window in, in like shock. Um, and so the other frat bros keep screaming at me. And I was like, and so I go to the security guard and I was like, hey, she hit them outside of the hotel. So it's not technically our property. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This isn't our problem. He's like, I can call the cops. But, of course, we're going to have to explain to the cops, like, you clearly, like, what you did was illegal. You paid for a hooker in your hotel room. Like, we're going to have to explain this. And so then they freak out. And so then they, like, kind of grab their, like, beaten, battered bro. And they just, like, ran off. It was this crazy fucking story. And it's, it's the story I tell in episode two because Charlie, right after this happens, he gets off work. And that's when episode one takes place. So he's literally in the stone stupor in the courtyard watching this like intergalactic battle of people taking over people and like this whole crazy thing with like or energy orbs thrusting out. And so he gets to the bar and 
he's obviously not going to tell them about like this whole energy war business because it's like clearly I was on an acid trip. So instead he tells a story about the hooker. And then eventually it kind of comes out about this intergalactic battle. And then you learn that everyone at the bar is actually part of these like factions and that he's the only one that is he and Campbell are the only ones that are unaware that there's like this multiverse and all this stuff is taking place. That's episode two. Um, But in episode two, it's also a lot more emotional context because it talks about not feeling like you're doing anything with your life, feeling like you're a complete mess, and then just drinking and doing massive amounts of drugs just to kind of make the day go away. That's episode two. And so that... that (laughs) So... And as you know, and then on top of that, the score themselves, they transition. There's like over 70 different transition points. There's all this craziness and all this other stuff going on. Um, so yeah, so finally, looping back around, Aaron um, finished the code so I could release the second episode. In the meantime, I realized my visuals are shit. And on top of that, I have no sense of real color or fonts or anything like that. So I hi, so I put out on Twitter, this is actually going to get to be a little bit of a longer weird story, but hear me out. So I'm working on hiring a graphic designer. I'm like, well, I clearly don't know shit about design. Why don't I just hire someone? I'm not paying for musicians. I'm not paying for the singer anymore. I'm not paying for the mixer because she moved to LA and kind of ghosted me. I have, I have surplus of money. Why don't I just hire a designer? So I put on Twitter, if you know anyone, just let me know. And I guess there's an entire bot army of like, you'll find out who these people are in a minute. So, so I go on Twitter, I say I'm looking for a designer and like my Twitter just blows the fuck up. And it's all of these people, oddly enough, they're all people of color, at least their profiles on on Twitter are all people of color and they're all demanding that I'm the one, I'm, I hired them. And so, and all of them were like, they basically make like Twitch banners and like stickers. So wasn't exactly the oeuvre I was going for. And, but this one guy said he was like a 22 year old african-american black lives matter is in his kind of twitter profile and you know he's a designer and he lives in austin texas so i was just kind of hear him out i was like all right i'll talk to him right let's support and so his example work he gives me i'm not thinking because i'm lazy i think i was stoned at the time and i just kind of went with it and i was like okay okay And and I was like, well, this is what I'm looking for. I need someone to kind of like read through episode one because episode two hadn't yet been released and and just come up with kind of a layout for the website. Like just give me something to work off of because I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, 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 I can do that. And so he sent me this work that was really, really cool. And this is my fault. I should have taken the work that I thought was really cool and just immediately put it through Google image search. Because if I had, I would have realized that two of his examples were Massive Attack covers, which is very famous kind of artist. And then the other one was Rihanna's anti-album cover, which I'd never seen because I don't, like, I love Rihanna, but I don't, like, you know, I'm not into Rihanna. 
so obviously he didn't design these. And I was just kind of like, but it was already too late. And I was already talking to him. And I was like, well, whatever. So he wanted 250 bucks up front. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. Fine, whatever. It's nothing to me. He PayPal invoices me, but it's from an Indian guy in Australia. And that was the trigger. And that's why I actually like put it through Google search and found out, oh, this isn't even his work. So it's basically a catfish. But I started doing some digging and I started researching the other ones that were also because I was like, there has to be like some type of Twitter bot or something that's running to find these in the first place. None of these Black Lives Matter African-American profiles that are designers are actual African-Americans living in the United States. They're all Indian people living in Australia. Like it's an entire like subgenre kind of scene. And so I was talking to my therapist about it because I was like, this is trippy. Because usually this would trigger me. I would feel very offended. I'd get upset. It'd be this whole thing. But it did trigger something in me when I was communicating with this guy because it was giving me a clear definition of what I wanted, both in the story and both in the visuals. And I was like, okay, well, I think that that's worth 250 bucks just to help me really identify what I need, what I want, what I'm looking for. So I kind of like, the guy kept messaging me after the fact and I was like, look, I know that the examples you gave me were from Rihanna and Massive Attack. So if you're going to work on this, like, please give me something that's original because I can't use this. And then he's just like, yeah, 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 no problem. And that was like three or four weeks ago. So I think he realized the jig was up and he took his $250 deposit and he just like ran off. I myself am not going to fight it because like that's what I was talking about in therapy. I was like, well... I got a lot out of this and I have a way more clear definition of the story I want to write, the music I want to write and how I want it to be presented. So I took all of that information and then I went to the a real design website that I've, I've used in the past um, called 99designs. Um, and I used it to work on the Death of the General EP cover art, which never really got released because obviously couldn't keep working with the singer it was this whole thing but so I went to 99 designs and I just had a more clear direction and so I hired two separate designers one her name was Saska she lives in Germany and she's the one that designed the death of the general and for her I was like hey I need you to help me figure out a layout that looks better than what I've got because this is crap and I was also able to very concisely explain what the story was about and yada 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 um on top of that, I didn't want to wait. And this actually coincides to getting my first vaccine <laughs> dose. So I'm at the Javits Center in New York. I'm like, just got my first jab of the Pfizer vaccine. And I just happened across this Filipino illustrator that did this really cool um, kind of comic book style, but very intricate illustration technique. So the main way that all the characters in Charlie Infinite kind of go in and out of the universe is through these like ornate circular illustrations that they look at and it triggers something, some temporal shift, and then they like are able to switch back and forth. And he did, oh my God, he was fucking baller because it was like, I paid him and he's like, 
got very excited about it and like, oh my God, it was, it was stellar work. So if you go to charlieinfinite.com, you'll see this illustration works. I immediately was like glommed onto it and I've been using it. Um, and in putting it in, it also forced me to clean up the website itself. So, so there is a new version of the website up using these illustrations um, to kind of help visually break up the, the muck. Um, I still haven't heard back from Saska, so I think she might have seen <laughs> what I did with the illustrations and then felt deflated and just didn't work. I didn't pay her, so it's fine, but <laughs> she she kind of ghosted me, whatevs. Um, and so that leads us up to almost now, right? So, so all of this kind of takes place. This is super cool. So I've got episode one, got my illustrations from this Filipino designer, named Ricardo. Um, and now I'm working on episode three, but I clearly always have to push myself because episode three, so episode one, very kind of electronic, very distorted, lots of keyboards and kind of effects. Episode two is very just like straight up string quartet. Um, I put a lot of like layering into the string sound but it still sounds like a string quartet so episode three i started with this piano piece i wrote years ago called space hog and it really just became a challenge because i i didn't really know what episode like i knew what episode three would be because i wrote the third scene of the pilot which is what it is right and just very blown out and so I wanted to use Space Hog, but it's the most difficult piano piece I've ever written. Like, it's just like, it's, it's like a lot of like super fast triplets on top with, with eighth notes on the bottom. Um, if you're a musician, you can understand. It's like the nice cup of tea, banana split pie, like, <laughs> like you're flying through it. And it just kind of was like my thing where it's like, I couldn't write the script until I mastered this piano piece. I could just play it through start to finish. So I literally spent like three weeks to a month just practicing this piano piece. And then I finally finished it. And then after I finished it, then I kind of put it through my studio setup to clean it up. Um, and so I'm gonna play that for you now here.
wasn't that lovely. <laughs> so I finally figured that out. And then that's when I kind of went back to episode three. And originally, scene three is really just about Charlie had blacked out after being at the bar. And then he gets woken up by his girlfriend, Leah, um, who's kind of an amalgamation of multiple boyfriends that I'd had in the past um, when I was really like in rock bottom. But for some reason, I kept going back to these dreams I had had before I found transcendental meditation and I'd really found um, like therapy. So the the third episode really is all about kind of this like really crazy dream sequence. Um, and I had essentially built out a triptych. So the concept is I wake up and there's this massive like sphere dome like thing I'm in. And there's a big glowing orb in the middle of it. And there's like infinite array of me's holding hands around this gigantic orb. And then the actual walls of the dome are all of these, um, actually all of these rotating beams that are like rotating around to create the dome. So it's kind of like if you ever saw the movie Contact, and that massive kind of sphere structure that they drop the spaceship in, it's kind of how it is. Um, and, and so, <laughs> not so, but each one of these versions of me was constantly like breaking away from the group and then going to the wall and the wall would open up into this like circular opening that would create a room. They would go in through it and then they would immediately come out from the other end, join back in the circle. So as I'm watching this in the episode that I'm writing out now, I go in with them. And what it is, is it's a triptych of three different, very distinct memories of three different points in my life that, that I'm experiencing. And long story short, like I'll go macro and then I might go micro, but the macro view is I go in, go into these like rooms that are these like memories, these like three separate memories is each room. So I'll go into one room that's like this memory that I get stuck on a loop in that's just very traumatic. And then I get out of it, but I get out of that into another room that's another memory that is on this loop of this very traumatic experience and then vice versa. And then finally the third room, I finally find some type of emotional resolution, get out of it only to find myself back where I started. It's kind of the theme, right? So, so it ties in with Charlie infinite about this like infinite universes and this different experience. And in episode two, what we kind of like allude to is the fact that the reason Charlie's interfacing and seeing all this and experiencing all this is because he is what they call the fail safe. He is the, the one actual being that personifies that specific reality. You kind of have to read the episode to understand it because explaining it would take a little bit long. But anyway, so I'm kind of taking that and basically turning it on its heels about Charlie and partly the reason why it's so difficult for him to sort his life out and why he has all these addiction reasons is because he keeps 
living through the same traumas over and over and over again. And, and there's kind of a common thread in each of the traumatic events. And that's kind of like a, see, I said like again, um, th that's what I'm trying to kind of, th that's what I'm trying to allude to is that we get ourselves into these cyclical emotional traumas and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we can't get out of the first trauma, we end up triggering and creating a second trauma and a third trauma and a fourth trauma. And this cycle will continue until you finally resolve the first trauma, which then you have to unravel the second trauma. Like you're always working backwards. So you're starting from the beginning and working your way up. And this actually coincides to where I'm at with therapy. You know, therapy for the past year and a half, two years, has been dealing with the trauma of my childhood, right? Incredibly abusive childhood, lots of fucked up shit happened, right? But now that we've gotten through that trauma and found resolution, it's the realization that, oh, but now I've got the trauma of my 20s. I've got the trauma of my mid-20s. I've got the trauma of my early 30s up until now. Like, the work is never really done. But what you do is by working through the trauma chronologically is slowly you find more resolution so that the trauma in the present diminishes significantly. And that's what's been happening for me is that I've noticed that as I've progressed through this, done this journey through meditation, through therapy, through this work on Charlie Infinite, my current state of anxiety has like dramatically decreased. And in a way, that's what episode three is kind of about. Um, so, so the triptych all have to do with urination because <laughs> I'm fucked in the head because um, that's how I roll. Um, so, so the first memory, so this is where I'm at, right? So I've got the memories, but I don't necessarily have the order, right? I don't know if I want to do it chronological or if I want to kind of like loop it around. So one memory is from my childhood. A second memory is from when I was in the Navy. And then a third memory is from when I was homeless living in, well, it's like homeless in San Francisco, but I kind of also play on the fact that I was also homeless in San Diego. I was homeless in a lot of places. It's just the way I roll. Um, so I'll just, I'll explain them chronologically, but just know that the episode three, whenever I finish it, it may not be chronological. So my childhood memory is that when I was like 10, um, I used to have crazy night terrors. Like I could never sleep. Like I would wake up in my bed seeing like demons, like demons, eh, disembodied figures. Like I think the most terrifying one was like a demon with a top hat and glowing red eyes, just like staring at me from the doorway. Um, another one would be like, I would see like a woman in like a veil and a wedding dress just kind of hovering over me like very very traumatic and it ties into like the abuse and all the crazy shit I dealt with as a child and like coping mechanisms blah blah blah, blah. but coupled with that was I shared a room with my brother who was like four years younger than me um but he used to sleepwalk and what would happen is he'd wake up at like two in the morning 
go into the kitchen or like the one story that kind of triggers these events, right? He goes in the kitchen, he breaks a bunch of eggs on the floor, pulls out a 12 pack of beer. He doesn't know how to open it, but he pulls it out and he goes in the living room and sits on the beer and is watching HBO. (laughs) Sleepwalking, totally not aware of what he's doing. And so my mother, in her infinite reason, decided that she was going to lock the bedroom door from the outside so that there was no way for us to get out of the room because that's how she thought he would, she would keep him from sleepwalking. Well, I would have night terrors, and then after having night terrors, I would have to pee. But to pee was always this crazy event for me because of the demons I would see, right? So it would always be this race. Like I'd have to hurry up, get the strength and run to the bathroom as quickly as I could and like shut the door, turn on the lights, right? And that was this whole thing. Because my mother was always such a cunt about me needing lights on because I was terrified of the dark. Um, So, but I'm locked from the outside so I couldn't leave the room to even use the restroom and this would just constantly be an issue so finally I just started peeing I was on the top bunk <laughs> and I would pee on the wall just because I'd have to pee and then I'd go back to bed now how no one realized the stench and everything that was going on is beyond me but eventually at one point I did this and my mother like opens the door sees me peeing freaks the fuck out throws a diaper on me and just starts screaming at me and telling me like what a mess I was and how horrible I was and mind you I was 10 um the one saving grace of this is that she stopped locking the door (laughs) so it didn't pee on the wall anymore but yeah so that was the first memory um this the second memory I am gonna go forward and then backward because it'll make more sense. So the second memory is actually when I was living in San Francisco, um, I had no money. I, I was working the night shift, but I was like making below minimum wage. So I only had enough money to basically sustain my drug and alcohol problem, like massive drinking. And I was living out of this rehearsal room and this rehearsal room, because San Francisco rents at that, even at that time, were like exorbitant, so fucking expensive. So I'm living in San Francisco. I'm renting this like rehearsal space for like a couple hundred bucks a month. It's like literally 10 feet by 10 feet. Everything's falling apart in this cube. And I remember like, you weren't supposed to live out of it, even though everyone did. And the guy that was like the building manager was this crack addict, basically this former like jazz musician, but he's a heroin junkie and like had like just, he was this big fat black guy with like these nasty dreads that had just never been kept for like over 20 years. So it was just this mass of just like, stenchy like nasty thing his feet were so riddled with diabetes that he wouldn't wear shoes so like his feet were literally just one giant callus it looked like a a, an elephant's foot um and his nails on his feet were just so fucking long and you would hear him go through the halls because you could hear the clickety clack of his nails against the floor outside 
And he would just scream at people because he knew people were living out of these rooms because it was San Francisco and he had such a chip on his shoulder. He would like just flip out. So every night at like two or three in the morning, he would just, because he was a drug addict, he wouldn't sleep. He would just like pace back and forth through the hall of this like massive rehearsal building and just start banging on all of the doors because he could he couldn't access the doors it wouldn't give him keys but he would bang on them to keep people awake because he knew they were sleeping in there which meant you could never go out to pee so at one point like i was just peeing in this starbucks coffee cup but because it was a mess i would never empty the starbucks coffee cup and so it got so bad that the Starbucks coffee cup filled with mold and then broke. And so like, I remember like one night in like a hungover drunk stupor, woke up to this like stench of piss everywhere. Cause I was sleeping literally on the floor on top of a blanket. And then the blanket got like soaked in pee. It was, oh my God, it was so traumatic. <laughs> and like, it just, it, it, it was horrible and because you just you couldn't pee but then like he and you couldn't get the car and then the, so that room until the day I finally moved out just reeked of pee because I didn't have the fortitude to understand cleaning or taking care of myself it was just it spiraled um and on top of that like to actually shower and do stuff I would go to planet fitness um, but because of my schedule, because I worked night audit, uh, graveyard shift at a hotel, um, <clears throat> the Planet Fitness, the employees there were all dirt bags, so they would never open on time. So it's like I would wander the streets till like 10 or 11 in the morning waiting for them to open just so I could go in and shower. Which is where episode one actually is from. This concept of like being in this day state at like 10 in the morning, wandering aimlessly, just stinky and gross and just wanting to shower. Um, and then the final memory, which is the memory that actually snaps me out of this in the episode, is I'm in boot camp. And when I was in boot camp, it was because I was tricked. So the original thing that happened was... I had applied to go to McAllister College. Um, my family refused to pay for college. So a Navy recruiter found me and was like, oh, if you say that you're going to be enlisted. So I took this ASFAB test, right? Scored really high. Um, and because I scored really high, they wanted to list me in the Naval Nuclear Power Training Command. Cool. But he was like, don't worry, you're not going to be enlisted. We're going to use this and then you're going to get into ROTC and ROTC will pay for McAllister. And I was like, oh, sweet. This is how it's going to work. This is how my life will go. I'll pay for college. I'll get the fuck out of Iowa. Um, yeah, I'll be a naval officer, whatever, right? How bad can it be? Problem was he tricked me didn't explain to me that that's not how ROTC worked and didn't explain to me that I still had to get into the college, right? So there's like this entire tiered list. You have to gain admission into the college. And then on top of that, you also have to gain admission into ROTC and being in, saying you're going to be enlisted doesn't matter. 
Um, so long story short, I missed like some important interview and application I was supposed to fill out for OTC. Because remember, this is before the internet. Like everything was still by paper. So I didn't fill out the right application. Somehow they made an exception. I tried to get the interview, but they clearly knew I was gay and were not going to have me. And then I went to McAllister for, to try to get in. And of course, I didn't realize it's just all rich democratic politician children like there like there was just no way so i didn't get in there either so i ended up having to go basically i had to go to boot camp like it's may years 2000 i'm going to boot camp because i'm enlisted and i can't get out of it and i have nowhere else to go and my mother was a fucking demon spawn so i go to boot camp <clears throat> but because I was supposed to go in the Naval Nuclear Power Training Command, this like bougie, like smart people thing for enlisted kids, I was supposed to go into what's called a 900 command. Basically, it's like boot camp for smart people so they don't hurt you. <laughs> like it's just like it's stupid boot camp where it's like, yeah, you do a couple of drills, but like you got it on easy street because you're not going to do anything physical, right? Well, the problem was you have to take a P test when you get to the Great Lakes Naval Command outside of Chicago. So I can't pee in the cup because I'm pee shy. So the commanding person that's supposed to take me to the 900 company waited, I'm not kidding you, waited for like two or three hours and then gave up. It took five and a half hours to finally pee. And then when I did finally pee, um, the only place that would take me, the only battalion the barrack command that would take me was like the bad news bears of boot camp. It was like the delinquents, the ones that had core orders. So they had to go to boot camp or else they would go to like prison, like the baddest of the bad. That was my boot camp battalion. And it was so rough on me that like, the amount of drills late, like they would wake us up at three in the morning and make us do drills. It was crazy. I ended up getting pneumonia almost the entire time I was there. I had pneumonia. I was like deathly ill. Um, the boots had like fused to my feet and I permanently, like even to this day, have like hammer Frodo Baggins feet because of it. It, it was again, very traumatic experience, <laughs> but and I remember it was the same issue where it was like, I would have to pee so bad late at night, but I was so terrified of getting yelled at for getting out of my bunk. It was like a whole thing. But eventually, and where the, the, the memory in the story ends is that at one point, they were raiding our barracks, like the the chiefs or wherever, like came in and started screaming and waking people up because apparently like one of the the kids had like run off or done drugs or done something while in boot camp. And so they were waking people up and I just, and delirious. So I like start to get out of my bunk, like freaking out, stumbling around. And this African-American female chief like puts her sh hand on my shoulder so gently and she's like, it's okay, just go back to sleep. You're doing okay, you're fine. And for some reason to this day, I think I've talked about this in previous episodes. I think I have talked about this story because it is very profound to me. Because um, it was the first time anyone had ever really shown me genuine compassion and kindness just for this sake. 
Like they weren't going to get anything out of it. They didn't know me. They just were genuine human beings. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced that, which is kind of an irony, but you know, them are the ropes kid. So anyway, in the storyline, that is the very last memory I have. It snaps me out of the logic loop. I'm back in the dome. And then I wake up to find my girlfriend on top of me because in Charlie Infinite, I'm straight because why wouldn't I be? <laughs> I think of an, you know, yeah, Charlie's straight. I know it's a little weird, bit of a stretch. I'm really tired. I, I think that that's where I'm going to end this. So maybe next time I do this episode, it'll be different. I'll have written episode three and I'll be working on episode four. Um, but doing this episode has been really helpful because it did help me kind of break story and figure out writing episode three. So I think I'm going to keep doing it this way. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me on this crazy journey. There you go. www.charlieinfinite.com. Check it out.